0: there we go. So um, we'll be starting Luke chapter 2. We've been going through Luke. Luke is a doctor and he's kind of going through um, very thorough, like interviewing each person. And we've kind of seen the witness, if you would, of, of Zachariah and Elizabeth and the, uh, uh, John the Baptist and his promise of their child and, and God working through that. And then we kind of see the witness of Mary that kind of continues throughout here for a little while. And um, so we're going through and studying it, and, and I was looking as I'm studying, I'm, I was really glad it's not Christmas at this point of the year, because of the study we're going through and, and looking at these things. And so, let's begin and let's pray here. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you, uh, you are so willing just to love us so much. And we have just this God who's willing to lay aside heaven And come down and just lay aside his life and love us, Father. we just thank you for it. God, we just pray you just speak to our hearts through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story, but um, I don't know if you guys have ever read through the Bible. You'll start to figure out there's a lot of stuff in the Christmas story that we celebrate in the tradition that's not in the Bible. There's just things not there. Um, there weren't three wise men. There was just wise men. We don't know how many. And if you're traveling back in the day on the road with a ton of money, there was a lot more than three of you. And especially get King Herod's attention where he couldn't just have wiped you out and send you on your way, you know. And so there was this entourage. But, you know, we have you know, this picture of three wise men and, and, and some other, you know, cute little songs we kind of sing that have probably, um, really, when you look at Scripture, no real biblical basis for them. And not that I'm against Christmas at all. Um, I think it's it's a a great time to get together and, and remember Christ and what he's done on the cross. But more importantly is to understand the truth of it. You don't want ever your traditions or our traditions to take place of the truth of God's word. And we definitely do not want to miss the truth of God's word. That is so much more important. And really the truth of the Christmas story is we have Jesus... God coming and laying aside heaven, coming down lowly and humbly to love and serve us. Um, imagine, um, you know, you're, you're a little kid, you're sitting there, and I don't know about you guys when you're kids, you know, especially young men in here, and playing with ants, you know. At some point, you're always playing with some kind of nest of ants, you know. And imagine you're sitting there at the curb, and there's the ants right down there in kind of the curb, and they're hanging out, and they got their little pile of dirt and everything, and you're sitting there looking at the ants, but the neighbor's washing his car. And so the water's coming down. You know the ants are getting wiped out. They're done, right? And what are you going to do? I mean, you're going to yell at the ants and give them little ant heart attacks, and they and die. Now, what are you going to do? So what you do is, you know, you come up with a way of shrinking yourself down to become one of the ants. And you're going to become one of the ants, and the way you're going to have to save them is you're going to have to die for them. I mean, that sounds crazy and, and ridiculous, but could you imagine coming from heaven to earth for us. What a greater gap that was for Christ to come. And, and we have the record of that this morning of how God, Jesus, from his glory from heaven is going to come down and serve us. And it's just amazing. So let's look with me at verse 2 here. Um, we're going to read through a section, verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree came, went out, from Caesar Augustus to all the world that they sh- should be registered. This census first took place while Cornelius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his city, own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was out of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was why they were there. The days were complete for her to be delivered. And so she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloth, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And and Luke kind of right to the point very quickly here compared to Matthew. But as we look through it, Luke gives us time markers. And, And we see it says when it came to pass the day Caesar Augustus put out this decree, you talk about power, I mean, to go, okay, you sit there one day and go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an enrollment, I'm going to do a taxation on everybody, and you all got to go back to your hometown. You know, the, there's, there's quite a bit of power in that to be able to say it. Now, this, this Caesar Augustus was actually Octavian. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar and was taken in as one of his own children. And then he had also his other two kids, which was uh, Anthony and uh, Lupedius, I think you pronounce it. But they were all together. So when Julius Caesar passed away, the kingdom kind of got divided up into three. But then Octavian got together with Anthony and took out one brother. And then later, you had this big battle, and you had Anthony and Cleopatra in this historic battle, and, and with the Egyptian battle at... Um, acumen I think and so but Anthony or uh, Octavian because of his military abilities and stuff and his ships being better takes him out and ends up the last of the Caesars in that sense and then so he starts to restore the Republic of Rome so all the while this is going on you have these men fighting and it has the countryside tore up there's battles going on within the Roman Empire and it's really caused some havoc and so at a point when Octavian is now ruling as Caesar, he had had his name changed twice, didn't like it, went to, kept going to the Roman council, and finally got this name Caesar Augustus. With Augustus means um, kind of like of the gods, Caesar of the gods. And that's where we kind of, you look in, in Roman history, that's where they started to get their leaders as like um, this kind of deity and worshipped. In that sense, and this is where it starts. This is this guy. And so, for the first time in 16 years, there's been a period of peace. You know, and, and Rome overall, the whole Roman Empire, they used to have a, a goddess that used to go in and worship and, and, and make offerings for for war, the goddess of war, and her temple had been closed for 16 years. That's the period of time this begins in. The the Roman world, the roads are safe. You know, it's definitely, you know, the Bible says Jesus came in the fullness of time, including the language and the, the culture where information could spread. And so we look at this. So we have this time marker, but we, we don't have like a certain date. You know, we have a, a, record, but a record of the time, but not a certain date. And so when we look at December 25th, you know, I was studying, there are so many different opinions of if it could have been that date or couldn't have been that date. And so, um, you know, I did my due diligence in, in studying. And, you know, so there was a, you know, back in the day, they even used to complain, hey, there wasn't even, Rome never even did censuses like this. And then in, in like, uh, what was it? Uh, I think in 1902, they found a papyrus that said, no, that's exactly what they did was they did these enrollments. And this was the first of these enrollments, you know, where you get how to go back and enroll and pay a tax. And so we don't have it, but I did narrow it down to you. It's within 12 months, within 52 weeks, within 365 days of the year, Jesus was born, for sure. Okay, um, that's as close as I got. I mean, if you want to do your homework, you can look up things. I mean, there was Cimarron, there was uh, Nimrod, there was they were saying, hey, it was a pagan holiday and the trees and it's evil and Christmas tree evil and all this stuff. And, you know, they, they put it on that pagan holiday to celebrate it. And then, you know, so there's other things. There's a, um, a good book on a lot of the uh, liturgical, the, the Christian kind of traditions is, uh, it's by a guy named uh, Tolly. He's a, um, a uh, professor. I think the, the book is the Origins, the Origins of the Liturgical Church Year. Really good book. And he goes in and makes some points. You know, you hear one argument is, it couldn't have been in December because the shepherds are out at the field, in the field at night And they don't, you know, after November, you don't sleep out at night with the sheep. It's too cold. You got to go somewhere. Well, there's one problem with that is I'm listening to one guy. He goes, yeah, and I'm sitting there and I've taught that for years. And I'm sitting there in December in Israel. And the shepherds are out with the sheep in the middle of the night. And eight inches of snow. So, I mean, and when you look at our calendar year, that's a hard argument depending on, okay, was it a hot day, a cold day? I mean, I'm sure they weren't sitting there going, okay, wait a minute. November, we're sleeping inside now. No, it depended on the weather. I mean, if you're out working in the field and it's going to be a warmer night, are you going to take the sheep back and forth? No, you stay out. I mean, so that's a poor argument. So basically, you don't have a clue. I mean, the other one, I mean, this this guy, uh, Tally says, I mean, the best one would be, hey, it was probably on the time of tabernacle. That's the only feast that Jesus did not fulfill a time on. So it's probably there. Of course, a lot of your end times prophecy goes to that. It's always going to happen in, you know, the time of tabernacle, the feast of tabernacles, because that hasn't been fulfilled but it's, it's possible, but truthfully, we don't know. And, and I think God does that many times. He stays quiet with certain things. Why don't we have a date? Why didn't, come on, Luke could have wrote down a Pacific date. Hey, it was right here at this time, you know, there. And, and it's kind of interesting, though, because our culture, birthdays are important. We keep our birthday, it's on your driver's license, on your birth certificate. And so it's interesting with us, with our neighbors, they're from Pakistan, and they have their kids, and so we celebrate birthdays. They don't celebrate birthdays. Their kids don't even know when their parents' birthday is, they don't know when their birthday is. You know, going to the DMV to get their license was like, well, it was about this month. I mean, it's just weird for us to think in our mind, right? You know, your birthday is an important day, you know, you, you get depressed when you get older, I mean, you gotta have a day to get depressed for, I mean, you know, they just, you were born, what's, what's it matter when, I mean, you're here, you know? It's just a really different thing. And so who knows how, how well even their, his parents had a record. Do the parents have a record? They they might have had more of a record of when, when he was uh, circumcised in the temple possibly and some other things, but we, we really just don't know. And so sorry for wrecking the day for you in that sense, but I'll wreck it more. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get through the rest of the scripture here. You know, so there goes December 25th and, you know, Christmas and that date, but... So you know, ultimately we don't know, but I again, I believe, very much believe we get left out de- details on purpose because we'd worship the details. You know, I, I was looking up even even the birthplace. You know, okay, where they think the birthplace is. Guess what's on top of the birthplace where they think Jesus was? It's a church it's shared by several churches. Very gaudy. They got a little lights set up, and it supposedly was in this cave and. It's a shrine, and just listening to God. And this is where the the guys talking about how the three kings were said to have come here, and all this, you know, all this hearsay about why this is a special spot, and you know, and it, and and there's people that go and they pray there, and they feel well, that's where that's where the baby was born, but that's where the baby was put, and all these things that people hold on to, which God didn't want us to hold on to, because He wants us to have a real relationship. You know, I, I, again, it's like. When you see people turning to idolatry in those things, which we all seem to do, I mean, you look at Moses, he goes up to the hill, he's not even gone 40 days, and they start making a golden calf. It's like, God just took you out of Israel, all these miracles providing for you, give it a little time, and suddenly, oh yeah, we miss, you know. And I notice that most times when you see people get off, and they're not close in a relationship to God, they start to turn to idols, in a sense. They might be Christian idols, but they're idols. You know, it'd be funny for me, you guys would laugh if I was sitting there at dinner with my wife Heidi and I'm looking at a picture of her. I went, oh, my wife's so awesome. She's sitting across the table from me. That would be foolish. If you're in a relationship with God and you're close, you're not staring at something that reminds you of the person. You know what I mean? And so you see that in many times in religion. And so I think God knows us and leaves out details on purpose, you know. Look at verse 3 with me. and it said, so all... So all went to be registered, everyone to his own cities. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, she's probably in her third trimester, and that's about an 80-mile journey, which cannot be fun. I'm not going to even... i I'm not a woman, I haven't been pregnant. I can't tell you how that would be in a rough car, nonetheless on a donkey and a travel. It would not be an easy travel. Eighty miles took about three days traveling. What I could tell you as a man is if the government said I had to travel home to register for taxes, I wouldn't be happy. I'd be complaining a lot. A lot of people be complaining. I mean, can you imagine that if you had to go back to your place of birth i mean the rest of my family, they got a nine-hour trip to Southern California. I was born in Missouri, okay? got <laughs> a car ride. I'm going the wrong, you know? It would be rough, you know? And and so they're traveling back. But even then, Mary wasn't required to go with him. But at the time, can you imagine all the family, all the all the uh, strife from the family and those around here? You're pregnant, for miraculously, sure. I'm sure Mary's like, man, it's a good excuse to get out of here, right? We can... We're, right, this decree, yeah, less murmur and go. You know, oh, it's horrible, but we're gonna go. You know, you, you kind of can see that, and so you see it, and and so they go, and and it's amazing how this is working. you sit there and go, wow, look at the power and this and that. Well, the scripture says Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Michael says uh, in five uh, two says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephraim. "...through you, although you are little among thousands of Judea, the one to rule Israel, in Israel, those who go forth from the old, from everlasting to everlasting." The Messiah was prophesied to be born there. So even Caesar, the government, does this thing. Everybody's hating it, but who's behind it? God's behind it. I got this couple here. They're going to have them. I got to get them from here to over here. I'm going to influence this man." You know, many times we sit there, and we can sit down and complain about the government and what's going on. Maybe you slow down and pray about, God, what are you allowing this guy to do? <laughs> A little different perspective in that. But it's amazing to see how God is still on the throne. It doesn't matter who's in there, who's ruling the world, what they call themselves. You know, what title they want to give themselves. God's still in control. And so he's taking them to where they need to be. And he's, you know, traveling them along that way. And verse 6, and it says, and so it was that while they were there in the days where her were completed for her to deliver. Now, while they were there, we don't know how long they were there. They were long, there a while after the birth. So we didn't know if they just arrived, and this is the first night. I mean, that's always in my mind when I was thinking of, growing up, thinking of, okay, Christmas, they're traveling along, they just get there, the ends full, and it's like, okay, pull over the donkey, we're having the baby. You know, they could have been there for a while. So we don't know, but they show up, they're there, and it, the time comes for her to deliver. And in verse 7, it says, and she brought forth her firstborn son, firstborn, that means there's others, and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no room in an inn. Now, the inns back then were a little different. They're called cataluma. Uh, they were, imagine um, like a big building with a courtyard, four walls, but a big courtyard in the middle. You'd have feeding around it and like a watering source in the middle or trough or fountain and then the animals would kind of be stored around the sides of it and there would be a second story to it with like three-sided wall kind of little cubbies that you would stay in around it on the second story and depending on how big they would get. It's interesting that um, this is the hometown of King David. We wouldn't really know about Bethlehem besides then. It's only about maximum 2,000 people, but it's six miles outside of Jerusalem. So you had a lot of travelers that would stop as they traveled through there and stop. So there was a lot of more traffic, but it was more of a little side of the road stop there. And and so I don't know how big it was, but um, David talked to a man, a, um Barzee, and Bar-Z, um, he he was an older guy and he goes, Hey, let me know. I'll give you a place. Let me give you a place. Let me give you a seat at my table, right? And he says, I'll give you a seat at my table. And he goes, No, 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 I'm old. Instead, do something for my son Chim. Right? And now we know in Jeremiah we have have Chim, and in Jeremiah it talks about Chim's Barzalaim. So it's believed that David, this this guy he wanted to help out, his son who he helped out, actually. This, this, this cologne is, is named after him, right? So it's very possible that was the inn that was full. And um, it's just interesting to see, you know, what you're even thinking as an M, but I, you don't know. You're going back to your hometown in Nazareth. And, and the reason he's going back there, and, and part of the reason is, in, in the papyra, it wasn't just for taxation, it was enrollment, but the country was torn by war, and so people were displaced, If there was a battle going on in your area, you got up and left. If the soldiers were there, they were taking your farm, they were taking food, and they could have destroyed your farm, your housing, your income, and so you would have had to relocate. And so part of this enrollment was to get people to go back to their homeland areas and get back to farming and producing again. And when you look at the nation of Israel, when they came into the promised land, each tribe was given an area and land and Joseph being the oldest son would have had land rights and you might go wow that sounds good and owning some land well it could have been just dust at that point who knows what happened during the war why wasn't he still there why was he a carpenter somewhere else and so part of the whole enrollment was to get you to go back at home and then get back to farming get back to what your family was really doing returning people back to their kind of their, their groups and their communities. And it's interesting, so we don't know if there was no family there that he's returning to, or if there was family there and they just didn't want to have anything to do with them. No, you need to go find somewhere in the end. You guys are outcasts. We don't want to have anything to do with you. I mean, she got pregnant. You should have had her stoned and killed. Don't want to have anything to do with we, you. We don't really know. You could, you could speculate on a lot of it. But either way, they're there in a situation where they don't have shelter. You know, we, we have this image, you know, you the, the, the little nativity, okay? There wasn't a wood, they didn't have wood troughs. They didn't have wood mangers. They were hewned out of rock in the area. There was caves where they, they would even store sheep around, so there might have been a cave there in, but we, the picture we have out in front of, you know, these churches and stuff is, you know, there was no wood manger there, there wasn't little Christmas lights around, you know. And I guarantee you, Mary wasn't sitting there all pristine and, you know, that nice blue garb glowing. You know, even to this day, I always find it interesting is the only picture you will ever see on Facebook of a woman where she is without her makeups after she's given birth and they got her in the hospital bed. You know, and she does not look, you know, she doesn't look like the rest of her pictures on Facebook. We'll leave it at that, you know. And and she's fine taking it with the baby, but they don't look like Mary in these things, you know. You see your little nativity. That's not how Mary looked, I guarantee you. I saw my wife after it. She, you know, I love her to death, but she was definitely not in pristine shape there with a halo over her head. It's just not the case, you know. Sadly, it was probably... It was even possible in an alleyway, just stone, and they would either have the stone be hewed out, it would either have water or hay in it, feed in it, and so they maybe cleaned it out. But what's really clear from the scripture, regardless of family or any of those other things, is she was alone. When you look at it, she brought forth her own son, and she had to wrap him in swaddling cloth, which swaddling cloth wasn't like a baby blanket. That was clothes that were ripped up. They tore some things up to you know, wrap around the baby to fit him into something, and she laid him in a manger. And I'm thinking, where's Joseph? Why isn't he laying him in the manger? I don't know. Maybe culturally, freaked him out, and then there was some of the stuff about being ceremonially unclean and all this. But there's just no room. And and you talk about that situation. I mean, could you imagine if we set up the nativity based on the Bible out front? Right? We could go out the corner. See, we got a corner, so we could do this. Right? We could do a nativity out there. We'll just put like a rock thing and maybe a, like the sidewall of an alleyway. And then we could, you know, get some recordings of childbirth going on. You know, a nice, you know, and then, you know, we could sing Silent Night. Yeah, right. And it wasn't a silent night. It wasn't silent when my wife gave birth all three times, you know. You think of those funny traditions and the songs we sing. Yeah, they're sweet, but there's nothing silent about that night, you know. And she's alone, possibly even with strangers around in the area. And and that's, the amazing thing is, just like the census, God was still on the throne. God chose that place in that time. I wonder what she was thinking at that time. I had all these promises, now we've got here, and now I'm having the Savior in an alleyway. I'm doing it wrong. I mean, your thoughts from the beginning, okay, I'm having the Savior. Maybe they're going to take me into Jerusalem, and there's going to be a palace or something like that. And it's the way God designed it to be. And it's interesting to think of how lowly he's coming. But even if there was a temple and a palace, it wouldn't compare to anything he was coming from. Anything he was coming from. To come down and to be born into that situation and that place, you know. And it's just amazing to see, in a sense, how just from the very first his heart is for us. I'm going to come down. I'm going to be a lowly. He's going to be a servant. In verse 8, we continue on. And it says, Now there was in the same country living country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, Behold, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And he will be he and this will be assigned to you, you will find the babe wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. What an amazing thing and I don't know if it's the Gabriel it doesn't say it's you know which angel here, but it could be Gabriel, you know. Kind of same pattern, you know. People freaked out, and then don't be afraid. And um, but what good tidings, great joy, right? To who? To all people. And guess what that word means in the Greek? All. All people, and it's in the pluperfect, so that's actually from the beginning of time to the end of time. So Abraham, as he was looking forward to the Messiah, that was to him, to all people. And, you know, you get into some of these views as, like, does God pick us? Do we pick him? Who chooses who? Calvinism. And that you have no choice in it. Well, this is to all people. Jesus was Savior for all people. Not some, not just the elect, for all of us. And so, and you will see this again mentioned repeatedly all a couple times. And so, you have these shepherds out there in the field, and they say, boom! This is Angels show up, freaking them out, and they say, "Hey, there's there's going to be a sign, and it's going to be a beam, baby laying in a manger." Well, if you're trying to get shepherds to find somebody, if you put them in mangers, that's pretty good, right? Because they generally will know where those are. Why? Because they have sheep. You know, it's like, hey, if I have sheep, or you know, ask a trucker where you where's the best place to get diesel. They'll tell you. You know, they know everywhere you can buy and stop and get a rig in there. So it's interesting that, but also. What's funny is we have a different view of shepherds. We see in the Bible, even if you go by the Bible, King David was a shepherd, right? Little shepherd boy. He was a lowly position. He came and used somebody lowly, right? There is, shepherds weren't of good reputation. So much that they weren't of good reputation, you couldn't rely on their testimony in court. It wasn't allowed. Shepherd sitting there and says, I saw this guy, saw that guy. That doesn't matter. We're not going to listen to that guy. He's a shepherd. I mean, that's pretty rough, right? And, and it was said when they, you know, shepherds would come through town, guess what's the first thing you did was? You looked to see what they stole. I mean, that's the people, right? So you have this, right? Here's this testimony. We're going to put together these shepherds, right? It's possible these shepherds were, you know, it's talked about possibly these were the shepherds that oversaw the sheep for the temple. Being six miles away from Jerusalem, they could have been the shepherds that oversaw the sheep for the sacrifice, possibly that would make it okay a little more cool that they're the shepherds that would look for the sacrifice of the temple are now taking care of or seeking out the sacrifice of all sacrifices the lamb of god but you know it's interesting to see these shepherds and who god appears to and in verse 13 it says and suddenly there was a light with uh, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God saying glory to God in the highest peace on earth good will towards men so you have this huge when it, when it says a multitude we're talking like a military force open up heaven just rolls back opens up And so it was in verse 15, when the angels had gone away from them to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see these things that have come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Man, you think about that, right? Heaven's waiting for the Savior to be born. We're all getting ready, they're you know, turning their instruments, getting ready for this big announcement. Okay, make sure we, we're gonna say this all at the same time. We're gonna maybe it doesn't say if they sang this, glory to God in the highest peace, to the good will and or if they just said it all in you know at unison, you know. And so it's there, they're ready to go, we're gonna roll back the curtain and there's shepherds. Right? Like how many shepherds? I mean, I don't know how many shepherds, maybe there was ten shepherds, twenty shepherds, I mean, even if there's a hundred shepherds you got over 10,000 heavenly hosts sitting there staring at this shepherds out in the middle of nowhere. No palace, no city, no... You know what I mean? It's kind of interesting. I just like how God does it. Here, ready? Here's an announcement to who? Oh, just some shepherds. You know, it's amazing to see and, and seeing God's heart in this. And so these shepherds, they hear this, and what do they say? Let's, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's, let's go see. Let's, let's go. And, and the term is like, with haste. Let's, let's go now. We're not going to wait. Man, this, wow, this thing just happened. Let's go find him. And so, and they came, verse 16, and came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Man, you think about that. They went and they ran. What baffles me, and and Luke doesn't go over the visit of the wise men that's in Matthew. We'll talk about that a little. But when the wise men are there, they come, they go, they're looking for the king of the Jews. Where do you go? The capital, Jerusalem. They go there, right? King Herod's there. They say, hey, we want to worship the, the Savior, the Son of God. And, uh, what do you mean? Well, we saw a star. We're here. And they go, well, you know, we don't know where he's supposed to be born and stuff. And so they, Herod goes to who? The Jewish priest. Hey, where is he supposed to be born? Oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem about a year ago. What? Why were not you looking? I mean, right? If, if I told you, hey, Jesus is coming back, and you're like, you had that date. If we said, okay, Jesus is returning, you know, whatever, 2019 on December 3rd, wouldn't you guys be like, okay, where's that at? Well, that's going to happen in Bethlehem. I'm going to get my plane ticket now. I want to be there before everybody else. I'm going to be right at ground zero. You know what I mean? If I came up to you and you're like, oh, yeah, do you believe in the second return in Christ? Yeah, he came, you know, a couple weeks ago. He's, he's supposed to go, yeah, he's supposed to come back, yeah, over, in, yeah, in Lodi. I just, you know, gas was tight. Didn't want to drive up there check it out. I mean, it's not like it was a far travel to a foreign country to, for them to say, hey, you're supposed to be born here. What an amazing thing. But then you got these shepherds who are considered what? Scum. Scum of the earth, lo- you know, losers. And they're like, hey, let's, this is happening. God's telling us. Let's go. The Lord's speaking to us. What a, you know, interesting response, too, from, from how, just where God's going and how God's going to be using people. And verse 17, it says, And now when they had seen him. They made widely known the sayings which were told to them concerning the child. And all those heard it marveled at those things which they told them by the shepherds. Marveled, They didn't go and find him. It's kind of interesting. OK, I'm marveling. that's interesting. Wow, that's strange, you know. Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen and, were, and it was told to them. Now, Mary's holding this in her heart and this is where I, when you look at this and, and, and it very much, the text and everything else speaks that Luke is interviewing Mary. And this is one of those things. We've heard this phrase several times, right? How, how do you know if somebody's, if, if I'm sitting here and my mom's thinking about something in her heart, I have no clue, only unless she tells me right so we see see this repeatedly through this section where Luke's really talking to Mary on these things and, and it's interesting i mean you think a shepherds okay and then they're running around hey the messiah came well we're not even supposed to trust your testimony in court i mean it's 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 amazing to see who's the one testifying of the savior who got to see him those these are shepherds right i mean it's like, what would be the modern day equivalent? Could you imagine some homeless guy coming up with a shopping cart and he's banging on your door in the middle of the night? The Savior's here! And you're like, yeah, what did what did you eat? What are you on? What did you smoke? Go away. These shepherds got into bad mushrooms or something. I mean, that'd be your thought. You'd think these guys are crazy. That's, you know, it's marveling and there's a lot of them. What happened here? You know, maybe they did see something. You know, maybe aliens. It must have been aliens in the field for sure. I mean... You just want to know, you know, And, and, and it's amazing to see, though, that God chose to come to them, you know. And verse 21, we continue on, it says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So after giving birth, there was a period of time that um, a woman would go through for purification to be allowed into the temple and, and part of worship and those things again. And and for a male child, it was 33 days, and girls who might not think this was fair, but for a female child, it was 66 days. But that also meant you got a break. So if you had a girl, you got a longer break. But so there's this time that goes by, and, and, and so the child is circumcised, Jesus is circumcised, and then and this time goes by, so there's a time purification, and then, verse 25, and it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. And this man was just, just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So what would happen is after you gave birth and a firstborn son, the firstborn of anything, your lambs, your goats, the first fruits of your field, everything was given to God. It was his. Your child, your firstborn child was to be the Lord's. Now you could redeem that child. You'd go up to the temple and you'd redeem him. And so they go up to the temple and, in that time so that they could go through the ceremony and redeem it and at that time there's a man there simeon we don't know if he's a a, a priest serving in the way to where he is actually doing some of the ceremony with the child there with the parents but this man a just and devout man is waiting is waiting for this he knows it's coming god spoke to him maybe he heard the rumors from Zechariah that hey there's john the baptist and the messiah's coming and he goes man you know, the Holy Spirit confirmed that I'm going to see him, right, at this time. And so, and he's he's waiting, and so, verse 27 though, you can clearly see the Holy Spirit speaking to him, right? It says, so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to him, according to the custom of the law. So he's there. He He comes in not Because he said it's his time to serve or anything else. Holy Spirit brings him into the temple. And so he's there. And and it's, it's according to the law. Jesus fulfilled the whole law perfectly. Obeyed it all the way through. And so Simeon takes him, took him up in his arms, and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Which you have prepared before all the face, or for, prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and glory, and the glory of your people Israel. It, it's amazing to see. So he's there. He sees the child, and he, you know, I don't know if it was custom or not. Maybe just when you're old, you get a right to pick up babies. You know, like hey, you're gonna steal your kid. You know, you can get away with some things when you're older, but he's got him there, and he's holding him, and and he's he's looking at him, and he's, man, this is the savior, right? For my eyes have seen the savior. What an awesome thing! Which is what? It's being prepared for the face of all the people, all the people. Jesus is the savior for everyone. You know, I I have um, within even the Calvary Chapel movement over the years, and and dear friends. They've gone to this hard line of Calvinism where it says God's in control of everything. He's sovereign and he chooses who he wants. God foreknew you before the beginning of the earth and you have no choice in salvation. He chooses you or he doesn't choose you. You don't have a choice in it. And I, you, know, you look at that and then the Arminianism says, well, it's all based on your choice. You choose and, and, and God just goes with it or whatever. You know, He's not in control of that aspect. I look at scripture and I see both. I see that we have a choice in it, and we see that God knew beforehand. How do you reconcile those two things? You tell me how God exists out of time and how that works, and we can start talking about it. I can't. He's infinite. I'm finite. He knows everything that's going to happen in your life before the day you die, before it happens, but yet then he works things out. Well, did God bless me because I was obedient? Well, he knew you were going to be obedient, so he lined those things up. I mean, it's like if you knew your kid was going to do something before he did it, You know, it's like, hey, I'm going to buy you a ticket for Disneyland, okay, if you do your chores. If you already knew the future and he wasn't going to do his chores, would you waste the time of buying a ticket and the money? No. And so it's really strange how that works, but the scripture's clear. It's all. John 3.16 is all. Jesus died for everybody. So how can he die for us all? Well, he died for us all. Every person. He came and paid for the sin for everyone even if that person does not choose salvation. There isn't anybody he didn't love. And so as we go through Scripture and we look at this, and then here's verse 32. Here you have this Jewish guy in a temple, and he says, Jesus is going to be the light, what, a light to bring revelation to who? The nation of Israel? No, Gentiles, right off the back. He's going, man, he's going to the whole world. This is to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It, it's going to glorify his people Israel. It's going to the whole world, the nations, the Gentiles. But it's going to glorify the Jewish people. Without Christ, who would the Jewish people be? Were they chosen by God? Were they separated? No, the whole point was... There were people to represent God. And when God gets glory, guess what happens? Israel gets glory. Right? The Savior came through David. The Savior came through the promised people. Right? And so you see this, but it's amazing to see. I I get a kick at it. It's like, wow, here, the Gentiles, I'm mentioned first for once. You know? Just a little pride there. No. But it's interesting to see. And for all people. And Joseph and his mother marveled at all the things which were spoken of him. So they're sitting there marveling, just, you know, here here you go. First, you're having a baby in an alleyway. The shepherds had to be some kind of, at least like, right? The shepherds show up and said, hey, we came looking for this baby in a manger. Oh, good. We didn't have him in the wrong place. You know, right? Wouldn't you be doubting, like, what are we doing here? We're having a baby in a manger. Okay, at least there's some shepherds. They're not very credible, but okay. And then you go up, and now you got this guy holding your child going, Wow, this is awesome! Whew. Good. So, I mean, because after, you know, eight months, would you start to doubt a little? Would you be like, Okay, this is going on. This has happened. You know, I saw this. I, you know, I don't, we do that, though, right? You've had amazing God touch, speak in your life, and it doesn't take long until you're worried about the same thing again, or something along it. You totally forget that God is God, in a sense, and that he's done these things. It's amazing what a little time and how, how um, weak we are when it comes to a little time. You know, Be patient. Blow up. And, yeah. So we look on verse 34. We kind of see a promise and a warning. And then Simeon blesses them and says to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is designed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Man, you talk about a change in world history. Before this, everybody was on the wrong side of God. You can have been sacrificing living righteous, but you were on the wrong side. Now there's a choice. Now there's a savior and it's in your face. You look at when you share the gospel with people, you look at some things, it's there. It's evident. You know, um, we were were at the uh, donor dinner thing for Hope Ministries last night. And uh, one of the pastors ducked in the Hall of Fame thing here was Sharon, and I loved it, man. He's getting up there sharing about what God did and how God started it. And then he goes, you know, it doesn't matter what you do for God. The Bible says you can serve your God and do all this stuff and do all these good things, but what does it matter if you lose your soul? You can come here, you can donate, you can help the homeless out, but if you don't need Jesus, you're losing it, you're missing it. It doesn't matter. I'm like, yes, but you could see the room. It got quiet. People looked down. It's like, well, yeah, because there are people there that aren't saved. And so I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I was feeling good about giving money and helping out and patting myself on the back, and we've got the names running up there and, you know, the little thermometer going up and all that stuff. And, and um, I'm guilty. I made the thermometer go up. But anyways, I didn't put my name, though. Put my company name now. <laughs> Anyways, but um, it's it's it was just it's a division. There's a clear division. There are people and priests that are going to accept Christ and move on, and then there's going to be a whole nation that's against him. The whole world is now split. There's a division. There's going to be men that rise and fall. The whole nation is going to be rocked. And for and it says and for a sign which will be spoken against. You know how that translates better? For a sign that's going to have a target on it. Jesus is going to have a target on it. You know, though John John 15, uh, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, you know that it hates me before it hated you. For if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world... But I choose you out of the world. Therefore, the world's going to hate you. The world is, they're, they're, they're against Christ. There's many that are against Christ. And guess what? If you're serving Christ, there are going to be people that dislike you. No, hate you. Hate's a strong word, right? When we are kids, you could say, I don't like you to your brother and everything else. But you weren't allowed to use that word. Hate's too strong. You know, we do it with our kids now. Yeah, no, 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 no. You can be frustrated with your brother and there's, Certain words, you know, you can't, you can't um, degrade them and call them an idiot and stuff or say you hate them. You can say, I'm, I'm not happy with you, I just like you, or, you know, golly gee williker or something like that. <laughs> some, some safe words, but the world's going to hate us. And, and it's interesting because many times you go out and there are people you start to talk to as you share the gospel. It's amazing how many times not. They won't say it to your face at least but we go out and we share the gospel and stuff and even at the park every once in a while you catch somebody's comment behind you you know oh look man they're there to pray for you yeah we're here to pray for you what's your i mean is it that bothersome i mean you know you know, it's just interesting to see but at the same time most time you're we're scared of that when we share the gospel aren't you scared like this guy's going to rip my head off for saying i haven't had it happen yet i've i had one guy tell me um I asked him, I said, so, uh, you know, did you go to, or what was it, um, you know, if you stood before God right now, and he said, why would I let you into heaven, what would you say to him? Why is there evil in this world? You know, I'm a Satanist, I, uh, so you're a Satanist and you hate evil. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I mean, well, you know, there's evil in this world because God loves you. You're, what? Yeah, let me explain that real quick. You have a free will choice, and God is love and light. And if you don't choose Him, that's why there's evil. And God would rather you have that free will choice and allow, allow, allow people not to choose Him for that. Well, okay. Have a nice day. You know, it wasn't going nowhere. It wasn't open. You know, but that's that's the worst I got. You know, it was, it was interesting. You know, so a Satanist that hates evil. That's strange. I thought that's what you like. I don't wanna... So okay. But um, you look at it, the world's going to hate us. It's not going to be for us. It, it wasn't for him. It was against him. And if you have Jesus in you and you're living and you're reflecting Christ, there's people that aren't going to be happy with you. You offend people. Guess what? It's okay to offend people. Do you know that? It shouldn't be illegal. I'm all for offending people. You know? Try to be professional at it, though. <laughs> we got a class called EE. E. We train you to offend people. No. <laughs> But no, it's okay. Verse thirty-five. Yes, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that through through uh, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Man, Jesus, when you open His Word, when He speaks to you, when He's in your life, the thoughts of many come through. Look at look at what was revealed in the Sanhedrin in their hearts. I mean, they put their Messiah on a cross. You know what I mean? You you look at our hearts and, and what's revealed. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Yeah, the Bible says what? The, the word of God's sharper than a two-edged sword, or enough to divide bone and marrow. Yeah. What an amazing thing, though, right? I don't know about you guys. I can't trust my own heart. I'm glad I got the word of God that can go that's not good that's good and let me deal with you Tim right it opens it up it reveals my heart because my heart's wicked man I even deceive myself you know and praise God I have a wife I mean God to uh, point those things out No, my wife's loving and she does it with the Holy Spirit I appreciate her very much you know but we're a team because she can she can speak into my life it takes her a couple times I'm stubborn but you know but through the Holy Spirit, having those people, having the Word of God, having that kind of relationship when you can sit down with your Bible and He reveals your heart. He opens it up. Well, how do you do that? How do you have those times? Well, wake up in the morning, open your Bible and read it. You know? And, and sometimes it's not fun. I don't know about you guys. Do you guys like to have your heart revealed? Not a lot of times. I mean, well, that wouldn't be good, you know? You know, I have a, a a pastor friend of mine who I've known for years. Man, this guy has the gift of like chopping me up. I don't, know, I don't know what the gift of discernment, whatever. I mean, I call him up. I haven't talked to him in a year. Hey, how's it going, Roger? Good. Everything's awesome. Yeah, I mean, why if we're doing this? Oh, cool. Hey, Tim, I just wanted to share the scripture with you. Right through every time. I don't like calling the guy. I like to call and say hi, but it's like every time he just. It's like this exhortation, like, how do you know anything? I haven't taught, you, you don't even have Facebook. I mean, how do you know anything about my life? To just, but faithful. It's awesome how that happens and how God can use that. Now, verse 36, it says, And now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of uh, Philumel, I don't pronounce that very well, from the tribe of Asher. She was a great, um, a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow for about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served the God, served God with fasting and prayers day and night. So she's there. She's serving as much as she can. And even in that culture, it would have been a stigma to lose your husband young as a wife. You're a young widow. So seven years of marriage, she loses her husband, and then after that, she's 84 on top of that. So she's old. She could be in 100 and something. And she's there serving in the temple, right? And so she's there, and I, ju- I just love when we, when you look at this, when you look at these things and, and you see this, I, I'm just, I love the fact that here are these little mentions of people we might not have. How many others were there? How God meets people. How God's still working. How God's working so much beyond Scripture in our lives and in people's lives. It just amazes me and you. So you see there. And verse thirty and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So she sees him. And she's sharing, hey, look, the Messiah is there. You're looking for redemption? He's here. It's coming. It's coming. You know, and as we look on here, there's a big gap in the story. Luke, very detailed and everything else, there's a gap. We don't have the wise men that are mentioned in Matthew, right? He just continues on. He says, so when they had performed all these things according to the law, fulfilling the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. Well, for Matthew, we know the wise men came. They were told by you know, Herod to come back and tell them. They go, they find the baby, they're warned by an angel not to return that way. They go, they give the gifts, and they flee. They end up fleeing. And so, as they fleeed out from Egypt and they left, they, they had the finances now because of the thing God provided, but I think I missed something. I think I turned a page too fast. Anyways, but as they fleed and we looked at it, um, yeah, I did miss a section, but anyways, so as they fleed they left, and um, we knew beforehand because if you looked all the way back in uh, in um, or 24, it said they offered a sacrifice for the law to redeem him, right? And it was two pigeons, which was a poor man's sacrifice, right? So we had that sacrifice, they did it. But as they come, you have now, who? All. You have wise men from a foreign country, not Jewish men. Rich men, well off, financially well. So here you have God being revealed to these shepherds, but then at the same time, men that were still seeking God, looking for the sign of a star. Who knows, from Babylon, if from the Babylonian captivity, they learned about Daniel and the prophecy, and they somehow knew the Messiah was coming. But you have these men that are not Jewish, that are Gentiles, that are coming to worship Jesus too. So we see the amazing heart to come in a, in a manger, to come lowly, and how many times God works through those lonely things. But we also see Jesus coming and revealing himself through these wise men that come, and they bring this provision, and how God is all people, you know, and it's amazing. And, and you look at these guys, and here they show up, but Luke Luke doesn't mention them. He just says, "Hey, they head back to Nazareth," and and he goes on and he says, "And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, filled with the wisdom and the grace of God upon." Yeah, the grace of God was upon him, and his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. So they go back to Nazareth, their home at a point they have went to, they first fleeed to uh, Egypt and then they ended up returning when things calmed down and Herod changed, the kingdoms and the government changed around and so he comes in, they come back up to the, the area of Nazareth where again, you know, the, they said what good ever came out of Nazareth, you know, this town. It's interesting, Nazareth sits on the hill, and the valley of Megiddo is right below there. You can see the whole valley. So where Jesus is growing up and raised, there's this whole valley of Megiddo. Guess where Jesus is coming back and the battle happens at the end of the world? Right there, Megiddo, the where he's growing up, the, his view off the side of the hill there. Just amazing to see these things, and, and, and you see God coming to the lowly, and God coming to the rich, and the, you know, these people, and just how he's working through this. The true story of Christmas isn't, you know, the gifts and these things. It was the gift that left heaven, that came to the lowly, us. You know, and it says, verse 42, we're going to continue on real quick. And it says, and when they, he was 12 years old, he went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And they had finished the days, and they returned. The boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother Mary didn't know it. Supposing that they had been in the company, they went a, a day's journey, and they sought him among their relatives and their acquaintances, and they didn't find him. So they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. So there's a lot of infancy gospels of things going on and mentioned that aren't in the that are not biblical. Frankly, there's the Apocrypha and some of the stuff and fanciful stories about Jesus and his childhood. This is the only story we have of Jesus in his childhood. He's 12 years old, which is the age where a 12-year-old would start to learn the father, his father's trade and those things. And you have Jesus there, and so they go up for one of the feasts once a year, which was required at least one. It used to be three before Rome took over, but then they go up for the one. And they're headed back, and they lost Jesus. Right? I mean, can you imagine? There was one time we were riding bikes somewhere. I was riding bikes home. Heidi wasn't with me and Anthony was with me and um, we, I'd stopped to talk to a guy in an alleyway homeless guy or something and he kept going. He got lost. I'm like, oh no, we're turning around. He's gone. We're looking for him. I got Heidi because we're a couple blocks from the house, driving the opposite way, checking all the streets and it was probably maybe 30 minutes, but terror. I don't know if you've ever lost your child. It's like you know, even that half a second at the park where they're around the playground on the other side, and you're like, ah, you know. And um, it's kind of funny. Anthony kept pushing the crosswalk button because he was like freaking out, nervous. And a cop stopped and asked him, "Hey, can I help you?" No. And he rides away on his bike. It's like he had some guilt, man. <laughs> like, yeah, cops. He was scared of them, man. Cops are okay, bro. Was like, you know, they're not the sin police. You're okay. You ask Jesus for forgiveness. No. But no, so he belled, but man it was scary. I mean and so he lingers there. They got a day's travel back. They're looking for him for three days. Three days. Oh gosh, you know, we lost the savior. The savior's gone. I mean I lost my kid, eh? It's your kid, you know, it was definitely no savior, but you lost Jesus. I mean could you imagine the donkey ride back? Like you had no you want to lose it. I mean, the arguments going on between Joseph and Mary all the way back. It, yeah human i mean i thought you had him no you said after this and i saw him here and yeah so they get back there now in verse 46 it says now it was that after three days they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers both listening and asking questions and all who heard them were astonished at his understanding and answers now jesus was still a 12 year old boy he was still growing, he, he grew, grew spiritually, he grew in understanding, but he was still a 12-year-old boy. That's one thing we see is, it's not like he had all this um, spiritual knowledge and, and, you know, came out at two years old teaching the Bible and, you know, all this stuff. He still grew, he grew spiritually, we see, that we see a progression, and that's really all we see about him when he was younger. And so, he's there, he's debating with it. And so they saw him and they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why, why have you done this to us? I've been looking, looking, y- your father and I are, we're sitting here, we're so anxious. We're, you saw it off anxiously. We're, we're freaking out. See, they're freaking out. I would be freaking out too. So when you freak out as your kids, when they're lost and they're like, you find them and they're sitting there going, I've been just staring at this thing fine. I didn't know where you guys were and you've lost them in the crowd or whatever. You can go, See, I have a right to be anxious. Jesus' parents were anxious. And so he sits there, they're anxious, and he responds to them saying, why did you seek me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? So with what understanding he had, he understood, hey, I'm the child of God and I'm going to be about my dad's business. I'm 12, I'm becoming a man, I'm going to learn my trade, and, and I'm supposed to be about my father's business. But in verse 50 it said, but they did not understand the statement which he had spoke to them just a 12 year old so they I don't understand this what's going on here and so he went down with them and came to Nazareth and he was subject to them but his mother kept all these things in her heart so Jesus submits to his parents his earthly parents so Jesus even being God obeyed his parents kids and um, so you see him submitting there and that and, and it's interesting because 12 years have gone by so, okay this happened he was a young child when the wise men showed up and now all this time has passed and how much do you ponder you know mary does a lot of thinking she you know she she impresses me it's just all going around her head she's pondering this heart what does this mean oh yeah i forgot this is what he's about this is what's going to happen you know and in verse 52 it says jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor with god so we see Jesus coming we see how he came and we see the real Christmas story here and and the real Christmas story is God was willing to lay aside heaven and he comes to the lowly he comes to the lowly and when we come and we look at it and see what he laid aside no temple would have been good enough no palace would have been good enough nothing would have been good enough but yet he still came down he came down lowly he came down in, in you know this family to shepherds you know alone in that situation um, you know cast out you know you could, you could go through all kinds of conjecture what do you think his, his uh, brothers and sisters thought of him oh yeah you're the older brother of this and this and this now we don't have any cousins that talk to us I mean there's all kinds of things you know that could go on but he comes down lowly and you look at all the great movements of God King David right he was passed over because he was this lonely kid, right? Let's, let's look at great movements. Oh, yeah, remember there was a revival in the late 1800s? Where did that happen? Oh, yeah, all the drunkards and everything in the coal mines. Oh, um, there was this, this book we were reading, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Where did that happen? Oh, yeah, there were some Christians. They got together, and they went after these horrible places. I mean, just, I don't want to, they're, they're horrible. I'm going to read the book. You know, all kinds of sinful people, transvestites, all these things, getting saved, and God does this amazing work. There was this guy, and there was this generation that were just on drugs and hippies and all this stuff, and his wife had a heart case myth. And so he listened to his wife, and they went down, and out of these lowly hippies, God does this whole movement. And so... You, you, you look at those things, and, and sometimes we can look at those lowly things and, and and almost despise them in a sense. Those lowly things even in our life. Those lowly times where, oh, we're just this, or we're just that. We're not a big church. We're a small church, or those things. And and yet, when you look in, in Corinthians, it says, man, that's who God calls the lowly things of the earth. And I love this fellowship. You know why? Because we're a bunch of lowly people, really. You know, we're not, woo, we're nothing great, special. You know, you go to the dinner last night, and everybody's they're, they're all, everybody there is somebody. I'm just Tim. You know, it's cool to see, but I'm excited to see what God's going to do. God chooses the lowly things of the earth. I mean, if you were to go to a pastor and you go, okay, we're going to start a revival. So what we're going to do is, we're going to go out to the homeless people that are on drugs and addicted, and we're going to bring them in, and the church is going to blow up. We're going to go, but the homeless people, they have a lot of needs. They don't tithe. I mean, that financially you're gonna to want to be a homeless church because then they come in and then people with money won't come in and all this. Well, that's what happened to Chuck Smith, Costa Mesa, or all these hippie kids. You think they had jobs? Do you think they tithed much? I mean, half of them were just coming off drugs. You know, no, we just want to be a part of what God's doing. And it's funny though how how we can look at things and put our perspective on things and go, those people are lower. This is lower. That's low. Or the situation of my life, God, I'm. You know, why do you have me here? Why have you brought me so low? Because I want to use you and I need you low. I need you just to be that. And so we see Jesus' heart. We see his heart for the things and how great movements always, I was thinking all the way back, all these great movements begin with people that weren't called to be there. That anybody would have looked at and said, don't put that guy in the mission field. Don't you, George Mueller, don't send that guy out. That guy, you know, we're not going to approve him for this ministry. We're not going to do that. And look what God did with him. You know? And I, I just love the scripture and love it. And if we're going to be Christ-like, sometimes that's laying aside your life and those things in your life and being lowly. Being willing to be lowly. You know? You, you, you dress a certain way. You wear certain clothes sometimes. And what's the purpose? To impress somebody or to be, uh, uh, you know, approachable? You know, I uh, I love um, Geller when talked about you little kids, he walked into the pastor, hey little kids, and they all freaked out and ran. He realized he had to get down on his knees. One thing I took away from that, I ended up put, putting on a mohawk, wearing a mohawk, cutting my hair in a mohawk for uh, VBS. Why? dye it, I think, blue or purple. Why? Because the kids loved it. Man, they, this guy's crazy like we are. I want to do that. I want that haircut. You know, my mom won't let me. It made me approachable. I want to get down. I want to serve wherever, you know, and if if I, the, To love on kids, that means I'm going to look like a dork and hide it under a hat so I can still sell a roof or something and try to get away with it. That's what I'm going to do, you know? And that's what we do sometimes. We look at it, and instead of, you know, it, it's just a different perspective when you look at how can I serve, what, what are the things preventing me from being able to love somebody? And so those, those are the things that have challenged me this week going through the scripture. And so let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you call us, God, that we are not um, qualified or special or anything beyond what you see in us. And that in your eyes we are special, then in your eyes that we are usable. God, keep us humble, keep us lowly at heart, Father, that we would be used, that we would not become prideful. God, that we would be just with the shepherd's heart of, man, when we hear what you're doing, we just go. We just go. Wherever you call us, we're going to go. We want to be part of it. We want to see you work, and then be able to rejoice, like the shepherds did. When they were done seeing you, they rejoiced. God, we just want to see you, serve you, and then be able just to rejoice and glorify you, and praise you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, Amen.